following is a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel, Huntington Beach. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com. I pray, Lord, as we come to this place, Lord, we desire, Lord, to hear from you and to seek you out. Lord, we do pray for the team in Israel right now, Lord, that they would just have that time with you as well. Lord, that pause in their lives as they get away and they get to walk where you walked and see the sights that you saw as you dwelt with us here on earth. And Lord, would it be a blessing for them, one that would carry over and spill over onto us, their church family, when they get back as we see pictures and hear testimonies. Lord, bless them as they're there. And again, seriously and truly keep them safe and healthy so they could complete the task at hand. And Lord, I do pray for, for us this morning, Lord, as we've come to this place, I believe we come with expectant hearts. We, we show up in this place uh, because we, we ultimately want to hear from you. Uh, Lord, we want to we grow in you. We want to know you more, uh, Lord, and we want to be shaped and molded into the people that you've called us to be. And so uh, what better place and what better way than by your spirit this morning and through your word. And so less of me and so much more of you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, our family had a, uh, this kind of season of our life where we're now, uh, our oldest daughter is starting to drive. Anybody been in that season of life before? And I actually, like, there was a part of me that was like, can't we, like, she did the training, uh, she took the test, and she's been out with the, you know, the paid driver to teach her how to do it. Can't we just give her the keys? Do we really need to get in the car with her? I mean... <laughs> But my wife says we do. Like, we do actually have to drive with her. Uh, there was this moment not too long ago where my whole entire family loaded into the car. And my daughter, Abby, she's like, uh, can I drive? And I kid you not, there's this thought of, in my side of my head, like, if she drives and we all die, then who's going to take care of grandma? Like, like literally, we could all... We could all go at one point in time if she's driving. And so, but honestly, it's, it freaks me out. It's like really scary to think that my oldest daughter is now driving. And so, so we've appointed Bethany as my wife, as the, uh, the mentor, coach, teacher to her driving. It's just, I think it's better for all of us if I'm not that person uh, for her. And so just think about it for a second. Who, who taught you to drive? Raise your hand if it was, a, it was your dad that taught you to drive. Raise your hand if you're your dad. Okay. Raise your hand if it was your mom who taught you to drive. Raise your hand if neither one of them would get in, your car, in the car with you and it was somebody else. Okay. That nice man from church who was like, he'll, t- he'll do it. He does it on the side for a profession. Um, so here's the thing. Reality is, we all need coaches and mentors in our lives, whether it was when we first started driving or when we got that first job and we had no idea what we were doing. Somebody had to come alongside of us and instruct us and teach us and show us how to, how to do that thing that we were called to do. And in fact, along the way, they probably told us some pitfalls, some dangers in the profession. Be careful of that person or be careful of that customer that comes in, right? Or be careful when you're making uh, the orders that you don't do this or that. We've all had those coaches and mentors in our lives that have helped us along the way. Here's the reality. In our journey with Jesus, in our walk with him, in the Christian life, we still need those mentors and leaders, do we not? That, 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 in, in fact, you could probably go back and think of someone in your life when you were coming to Jesus, whether at a young age or maybe a little bit older, who kind of mentored you and, and coached you. 
And, and, and maybe even in some ways told you about those pitfalls and be careful of, of this. And, and in some ways, maybe they instructed you of, hey, let me help you on how to do this in your spiritual life, in your walk with Jesus. Can you think now of a mentor that you've had in your life? I asked the first couple services, and it was really cool. Uh, some of them said Joy, uh, Bill's, Pastor Bill's wife, uh, Joy, who leads our women's ministry. And they said, actually, they said, Joy has been a mentor in my life. That's kind of a cool thing to have your name mentioned in someone's mentorship and leader. Well, here's the thing. As we look at the, the book of Colossians, written to the church of Colossae, which is where we're going to be this morning, Paul is a mentor to these people. Uh, And in fact, over the next three weeks, he's just going to give practical application about how to live the Christian life. That that Paul is actually mentoring and saying, hey, be careful of this. Hey, when you get to this, you got to know about this, right? He's going to give us practical application in the book of Colossians over the next three weeks. Now, here's the thing. You can actually turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and some of you are going to say, well, we already studied Colossians chapter 1, but I have to take you back here uh, because I believe Paul takes us back here. As a mentor and as a coach, Paul is going to tell us, here's why, here's how to live out this life, but here's why we live out this life for Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul's going to give us a high view of who Jesus truly is. One that I think uh, before you could start with the Christian life, you have to know this about Jesus. Before it would be worth it, listen, before it would be worth it for me to walk out these days with Jesus, I have to know who Jesus is first. And quite frankly, maybe some of you this morning are here, somebody invited you, maybe you're watching online, and you're just checking out who Jesus is, and and why these crazy people get together every week, and why do they walk out this Christian life following after him? Why is Jesus such a big deal? And Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, maybe better than any other chapter in all of the book of the Bible, lays out clearly who Jesus is. And I think... Before we can get practical about, who Je- about living for Jesus, we have to know who he is first. So I put it up here on the board, but you turn there. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Let's breathe this in. We sang this this morning, breathing in his love and his goodness. Let's take this in for a second. Let's rest on this for a second. Listen to who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He's the son, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, talking of Jesus. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Take that in for a second. He goes on, he says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Resurrection, he's talking about there. So that in everything he might have the supremacy in all things. You mean in my life, 
Jesus should have supremacy in my life. He has earned it. He deserves it. In all things, he should have supremacy by demonstrating his power of the resurrection. For, listen, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's powerful. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So before we can get practically applying the things of Jesus to our lives, we have to first know who Jesus is. And Paul lays that out, like I said, beautifully, probably more powerful than any other place in scripture where we find out who Jesus truly is. And that in fact, that he is worth living for. All the fullness of deity dwells in him. The firstborn of all creation by whom all things were made and he holds all things together. What Paul is saying there is he is worthy of us living for him. In fact, there's no one else we should be living for. And then Paul says, by the way, some people are coming that are going to try to move you off of that truth. They're going to try to push you on to a different truth, a different religion, a different philosophy. In Colossians, again, in the same letter that we're studying, 2.9, Paul says, like a good coach, like a good mentor, he says, be careful, there's an enemy out there. Look what he says in Colossians 2.9, for in Christ, oh, excuse me, sorry, in Colossians 2.4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Not lame arguments, not unconvincing arguments, but actually Paul says fine-sounding arguments are going to be launched at you to move you off of this foundation that you have in Christ. He says, be careful. Coach mentor Paul says, be careful. He then again says in Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Look at rather than on who? Christ, by the way, who in all the fullness of deity dwells, who created all things, who holds all things together. Don't move off of that foundation, Paul says. And then he says, now, now, because you know who Jesus is and because you know someone's coming to steal, rob, and destroy your faith, let's, let's move on to practical application. Let me give you some pointers as we move along. So look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And here's what he says. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things on earth. Look what it says here. It says in verse one, if then, in other words, he means since then, because you have, because you've put your faith in Christ, because of this, you were raised with Christ. Now that's an interesting idea. He says, you were raised with Christ. He's talking about resurrection from the dead there. 
And if you were raised with Christ, guess what else had to happen before that? Somebody help me. You had to die first, right? You had to die with Christ. In fact, some of you maybe this morning would say, I didn't die. Like, here I am. I can, I'm, I'm, fit, I'm here. So I, I obviously didn't die. But what Jesus is talking about and what Paul is talking about is, is a spiritual death. A time when you used to live apart from God. He, in, the, in, the, in Romans, it's called the, he's the old man, or we may call the old woman. I'll be careful with that. But the old man, right? You used to live in, in a certain set of ways when you didn't know God. And you actually lived apart with him. The Bible actually says we were enemies of God at that moment. And then this reality of who Jesus is comes to us. And all those things we just read in Colossians chapter 2 hits us like a ton of bricks. Whoa! The fullness of God dwells in him. He created all things. He holds all things together. It's by his name that I am saved. And I can join the family of God. And in that moment of reality, we then step into life. There's a defining line in our lives. There's the old Jeff who walked in apart from God. And then there's the new Jeff who died and was raised again with Christ. In fact, uh, on November 13th, we're going to do a baptism in here, right? And, and in baptism, and by the way, if you have not been baptized and you're a believer in Jesus, this is a great opportunity. Number one, to be faithful to the calling. Jesus actually calls us to be baptized. And the second is a great opportunity to testify about what Jesus has done in your life, about this old person that used to live inside of you and this new person that you've become, and to testify that to the church, whoever happens to walk through the doors that day, whoever you invite from your work or your family to come and hear this, this testimony about who Jesus is. And in that baptism, what they're going to see is death and resurrection. What do you mean by that? What do you mean they're going to see death and resurrection? Well, look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Look what it says here. This is Paul, again, in Colossians, coach, mentor Paul. And he's writing and he says, buried with him in baptism, that actually when you go under the waters, what we're signifying in this moment is that you are now buried with him in baptism. That you have died and you are now buried. This old person that used to live inside of you is now dead. In which you also were then what? Raised with him through faith that now you're coming up out of those waters and this person who's coming up is a completely different person than the one that went under. That now you are new in Christ, you are set free, and you are living this life for Him. Look what it goes on to say. Raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. That you are now together with Christ having forgiven all your trespasses. Romans 6 actually says it so clearly. Listen to what happens in baptism and the finality of this death. Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also... Look at that again. Don't run past that. Look what it says. That just as 
Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You were raised the same way, and now you are walking not in the old ways, but in the new ways. For if we have been united together, there's that idea again, united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer, look at this, be slaves to sin. Listen, there's a, a defining moment. You are no longer who you once were. You're no longer who you once were. I think that's important for us to understand when we talk about how amazing Jesus is. And then we talk about being united to him with his death and his resurrection, that we are now one with him. I am no longer who I used to be. Make that in for a second. Realize that. (laughs) I don't, I don't have, I'm not the same person I once was. I am now walking a different life out. Not based again on a bunch of rules and regulations, but there was a defining line in my life where God did a work on me and transformed me and changed me. Not so that I would go back and walk in those old ways again, but instead that I'd walk in this newness of life. You're not who you used to be. Now, verse 2, look what it says again. So this is what we do. Because we are now walking in this newness of life, and because of who Jesus is, we, look at verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Here's the the coaching tip from Paul. Uh, You will walk in the direction that you are looking. You are walking in the direction that you're looking. If you're looking to Jesus, you're going to walk in that direction. If you're looking at the things of this earth, you're going to walk in that direction. Where have you set your eyes this morning? Where have you set your eyes this morning? Where are you looking this morning? Is it to Jesus? Is it to the author and perfecter of our faith? Is it to the one who's deserving of it all? Some of you remember this hymn. And I do too. I remember sitting in the Methodist church singing this song. Remember this one? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. What? In light of his glory and grace. And I would sing that, but we don't want that this morning. So we'll just... We'll just look at it and read it together. But you can hear the melody, can't you? Isn't it crazy? It's like these songs that meant so much to you. You can actually hear the melody being sung in your head. But look at that, what he's saying. Look at the the hymnist is saying, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Where's your focus on? He says, look at his wonderful face. And the things that are all around that are pulling at you and pulling at you and trying to distract you, they're going to grow strangely dim. In light of his glory and grace, in light of who he truly is, where have you set your eyes this morning? Where's your focus on? Is it on him? Are you looking at his face, following after him? Because the warning here from Coach Paul is, be careful that you don't set your your gaze on the things of this earth. 
That you're not looking down all the time at the things that are right in front of you and pulling at you in this direction and pulling at you in this direction. He said, because you will go the direction that you were looking. There was a, a quote by D.L. Moody that, um, that, that said this, you've become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You ever hear that before? You're, you're so heavenly minded. You're, your head is in the clouds. You're so spiritual, but you're actually not even helping the people around you, right? You become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And I thought about that for a second. I said, I would think, Mr. Moody, I don't think I suffer so much from that. I think I more suffer from I'm so earthly minded at times that I'm no heavenly good. I think that's my struggle, Mr. Moody. I feel like there are times when I'm so caught up in the things that are right in front of me that I actually forget that I serve a God who is mighty and powerful. I actually forget about Colossians chapter 2. He's the creator of all things. The fullness of deity dwells in him. Jeff, why don't you put your gaze upon him? Like, look at his wonderful face. Don't, Don't keep getting caught up in this idea that it's only the things that are in front of me the worries and the anxieties and the stresses. Why don't you look to the one that matters? Where are you looking this morning? Where have you set your face? Have you set it upon Jesus? That's what he's calling for here as a good coach and a good mentor. Um, you can be, I'm hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to relate to this. Um, there are times, I, people have told me, there are times when, when I'm looking at my phone And I'm so fixated on the things on my phone that I actually can't hear anyone talking around me. Anybody else relate to that? Anyone? I mean, people tell us, but is it really true? I don't know. You know, the conversation that's going on and then the the follow-up question, did you hear anything that I just asked you or told you? And you're like, yes, no, no, I didn't. Just say it again. I'm so sorry, right? That we become so fixated on this. Have you ever done this? Have you ever stepped off like a step while looking at your phone, being fixated on your phone? Have you ever hit a table or a chair? Have you ever walked into a wall? I mean, this thing, right? We can become so fixated on our phones that everything else grows strangely dim, right? But here's the point. I think Jesus is saying, I want that fixation on me. I I actually want you to always be fixated upon me. I'm worth it, Jeff. I'm worth it. Fix your eyes upon me and allow everything else to grow strangely dim. Watch me. Follow after me. Now, I think the next thing he says here in verse 3 is an amazing, incredible coaching tip He says, for you died. There's that idea of finality again, right? That that crossing over point that sometimes I feel like we want to try to get back in, but but you can't get back in because you died with Christ. That, by the way, is past tense. You died. There was a moment where you died, and now you're walking in the newness of life. And your life, check this out, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Take that in, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who, by the way, is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Listen, Paul's giving us a tip here. He's saying, listen, Jeff, did you know that you are connected with Christ? That you're hidden with Christ? 
There's no defining line between where Christ starts and you start, Jeff, and when he stops and you stop. In fact, when they see you, they should see Jesus. And when you identify yourself as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus, what you're saying is, Jesus has taken up residence inside of me. So then we could think, well, I want to go back to those old ways of life. It's like, no, you you couldn't even think of it. You couldn't even ponder it because I am new in Christ. He's actually, my life is hidden with him. Look look at it. It goes on to say in verse four, it says, when Christ, who is our life? He is all that we are. We are all that he is. I think some of us need to hear that this morning. That we begin to maybe listen to the outside voices and we've been pulled away from our faith that once maybe was so strong and vibrant. And the reality is God has not left you or forsaken you. He hasn't taken his hand off of you. Instead, he's probably calling you back to say, you remember who I called you to be? You remember when I came up and took residence in you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Remember when I started making those life changes inside of you and you started to grow in me? I'm calling you back to that this morning, that you would identify with who you truly are, hidden in Christ. Christ, who is my life. He is all about me. I am all about him. There is no half in and half out of Christianity. There is no medium walk, right? You are a, if you are a believer of Christ, if you put your faith in him, then you are a Christian. Now, maybe some of us have gone weak in our faith and we've started to kind of slowly step away, but he'd say, listen, you're still a believer. Come back and walk with me again. Trust me. Identify who I have called you to be. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. One of the cool things, go back to baptism again, this idea of hidden is like when you go under the water and, and, and that water just fills every part of you, right? There's no part uh, when that person is getting baptized and they go under where water is not touching, right? It's, you're completely covered or hidden in Christ. That's what he's saying. You're completely covered in him. You're submerged in Jesus. Listen, your life is submerged in him. Recognize that and walk out of that truth and that reality. You are fully changed. Look at this text says, Colossians 1, 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. There's this unity and connection that is so deep that you are one with the Lord. Look what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. We talked about that. It is no longer I who live, catch this, but Christ lives where? Say that one more time. In me. It's, I, I don't, it's no longer I who live. That was the old Jeff. But now I'm living and walking this life out with Christ in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Christ that's in me that is living. I just want to convince you this morning that you are, you're changed. You're, not, you're no longer who you used to be. You are a new creation in him. Listen to who you've been joined together with. Yeah, I love that. 
Let me remind you real quick from Colossians chapter two. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read through this. In fact, I would just have you breathe this in, take this in for a second. Listen to who you've been joined together with. The son, who's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head, the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. And it says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That is who you and I have been joined together with. And so Paul says, listen, church, know this, know who Jesus is, because when you know who he is, then that'll give you the power to walk out this life practically for him. And then he says, but listen, listen, believer, uh, there, there are some things, some hollow and deceptive philosophies that are going to come after you. There's also some life practicalities that are going to come after you. Some of the, the old person that you used to be, they're gonna, he's going to come back knocking on the door again and say, hey, what about me? You forgot about me. Let me back in. And Paul's going to say, listen, mentor tip, be careful. There are some things that you are going to have to kill. There's some things, not people, don't kill people, right? There are some things that you're going to have to kill. Look what he says next in verse 5. Therefore, he says, put to death your members which are on the earth. And he gets specific. He says, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Look what he says here, this idea of put to death. It literally means to kill, to exterminate. Think about that. You probably recognize this when you were coming to Jesus. There was this moment, and maybe nobody even had to tell you about this. They didn't say, okay, Jeff, you're coming to Jesus. Let me give you the, the checklist of things that you're going to need to change right now, right? But what happened was by the power of the Spirit and Jesus in us, there began things that were like, I don't think I want to do that anymore. I actually, I'm identifying that as wrong. And I'm not, even, I'm not even but a month into the faith, and I'm already determining that I can't walk in that direction anymore. You've got a sense of this. And, and Paul's saying, yeah, that's going to happen. And he said, even when you're a believer, because by the way, he's writing this to believers. So this list that we just read, guess what? That's the old man coming back to knocking in. Hey, let me in. Remember me? I want to join. He said, actually, Jeff, you're going to have to kill those things. That there's a battle that's going to be waged in the believer even to kill those things. Now, he didn't say, learn how to manage those things well. Fornication. Learn, just learn how, Jeff, learn how to manage it well. As long as it doesn't make a big impact in your life. That's not all he says. He says he uses a very powerful and strong word saying, kill those things off. Don't let them live any longer. Don't let them exist in your life. Wage war against those things. He's actually, in some ways, just following what Jesus said, right? That in Matthew 
uh, chapter 5, verse 27. Remember what Jesus says about these sorts of sins? Look what he says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. And they'd have been like, yep, we've heard that before. Yep. And then Jesus actually says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then Jesus says, let's get radical. You want to get radical? Let's get radical. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members, your eye in this particular case, perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What is Jesus saying here? Get radical. Kill it. Don't let that sin continue to live inside of your life. Now, I was, you always got to put the disclaimer, right? No one, please don't pluck out your eye. Jesus wasn't saying to do that. But what he was saying is it's worth it to, to pluck out your eye than to lose relationship with me and to lose your faith and to walk away from me altogether. He was saying it would be better, quite frankly, if you couldn't see, right, than to lose me. That's what he was saying. And the same thing is true and powerful for us this morning. As Paul is writing this to believers, he's saying, kill these things. Don't let them continue to exist in your life. Anybody have an ant problem this summer? Anyone? Like just, it just seemed like they were nonstop and they would pop up at different places in our, in our house under the floorboards and you would get rid of one and then another one pop up someplace else. I did realize that it's not good to put just your food in the trash can, right? You got to baggy up the food first. That was, we, we discovered that. You don't just throw the, the food in the trash because the ants, they love when you just throw food in the trash can and they will come massive amounts of ants. Now here's the reality. You can't just kill two ants and think that you took care of the problem, Right? The, 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 the ants don't go like, hey, they killed Bob and Jim, let's run, right? <laughs> they don't do that. They actually, you know what they do? They carry those two dead ants away and they probably eat them and they're like, great, right? Just feed us more, right? No, actually, you have to get to the source of the problem. You got to find where they are coming from and you've got to kill it at its source. And the same thing is true. The same thing is true. And what Paul is saying here is don't play with it. Don't manage it well. Kill it and stay away from it. Because guess why? You're walking in newness of life. And these things, these old habits, these old ways, they're just pulling you back into those old things again. And you don't have to go there anymore. Right? Because Jesus is giving you the power and he's giving you the freedom to not go back to those things anymore, whatever they may be. Now, what's interesting is most of all four of these things that he just listed have to do with sexual sin of some nature. That, that somehow Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, identifies that humans are going to struggle with this. For whatever reason, this is a human problem, a common human problem. And it seems like it sneaks in in all different areas, man or woman, in all different ways. This particular sin has a pro we have a problem with. And so he labels them. He actually says, listen, be careful. Kill this. Fornication. By the way, the word uh, fornication is pornea, where we get pornography. And that's any type of sex outside of marriage. 
and dabbling with anything outside of marriage as it pertains to sex. And that's the idea of fornication. And he says, what does he say? Kill it. Don't let this live in your life, believer. Don't let it sneak back in. That's who you once were. You're not that person anymore. Jesus is so tightly connected with you. He is in you. You don't have to live that life any longer. He says, listen, kill this. Second, he says, uncleanliness in our thoughts, in our actions, unrighteousness, unholiness. Be careful of that. Don't let that lead you down the wrong path. He brings up passions and evil desires. Passions would be like the actions of of evil. And evil desires are the thought processes of evil, the thoughts and the actions that go along with it. Then he says covetousness. The idea of covetousness is greed. Greed. This is so interesting to me. It starts small, right? That, that you have this one little thing and, and, and then you, whatever it is, whatever it is, it could be sexual in nature, it could not be, but you, you have this one little thing and you begin to feed it with your time, right? Or your thoughts or your energy or your money. And it just begins to grow a little bit more all the time, a little bit more all the time. And it begins to occupy your life a little bit more, whatever that is. We definitely have seen this, and you can see this in in sexual things, right? It just occupies so much more time and and space and energy and finances in our lives to the point where it gets to be so big that it actually takes the place of the Lord, which then, look at this verse, turns into what? Idolatry, right? Can you see the pattern of thought that Paul is warning? He's saying, be careful of covetousness, which is greed, because it's going to grow and grow and grow. And you think you're managing it and you think you're taking care of it. And I can keep it off to the side, but it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And sooner or later, what it does is it takes the place of God in your life, or you begin to choose it over your relationship with the Lord. And so what Paul says is, kill it. (laughs) don't think that you just because you killed the two ants, you're good, right? No, he says, go to the source and take it out. So it doesn't grow and grow and grow and sooner or later overwhelm your relationship with God. Now, why would he warn them? Why would coach, mentor Paul warn them about this? Because I think it's, and it's true of all of us, that when we allow these sorts of sins to continue to exist in our life, our faith diminishes, the, the spiritual fruit that God is growing inside of us and wants to use us for and it wants us to flourish begins to shrivel up. The, the, the vibrant and active faith that we have will begin to diminish over time if we allow these things to remain in our lives. Essentially, when we choose to follow after that list, we are saying, I actually just want to try to get back to that old man again or that old woman. I, I want to get back there again. And, and God's saying, why? Why would you want to go back there be, again? Ha- haven't I led you away from that to walk with me, to walk with the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Haven't I called you to newness of life? Haven't I already set you free from so many things? Listen, why would you want to go back to that again? And so Paul's saying, as the coach and mentor of these people, and I believe for us as well, by the power of the Holy Spirit through his word, he's saying, stay away from those things. Kill them altogether. And look at verse six. Here's why too. Because of these things, 
those, those sins that we just list, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And then he identifies this, which I think is so important, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. You once walked. That you are a new creation in Christ. That was your old self. This is your new self. And now you're walking in the newness of life. And let me just close. These are the, I think these are the four tips that I think he gives us. And we're going to get practical in the next two weeks. We're going to get practical about what this looks like living for Jesus in the here and now. Here's what he shared with us this morning. Coaching tip number one, you know, you're no longer who you once were. You're no longer who you once were. There may be a pull from that old man or that old woman to pull you back in, but you could just say, that's not who I am any longer. That's who I once was. And where you are looking, coaching tip number two, where you're looking is where you're heading. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you will head towards Jesus. If your eyes are fixed down on the things of this earth, then you will head to the things on this earth. Coaching tip number three, he says, remember you're united with Christ. He's in you. He is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. And he is leading you in the direction that you should go. You are united with him. And that last one, so powerful, is that there are some things that we just need to put to death. There's some things that we just need to kill off in our lives because of who Jesus is. And he gives us the power to do that. Amen? Next week, we're going to look at being created in his image and walking closer with him. And we're going to be shaped, molded over time, which is powerful, by the way, being shaped and molded over time to be like him more and more. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the amazing gift of your word and just the encouragement this morning, just the identity of being able to say, I am new in you. And when I hear that knock at the door from my old person, my old man, to draw me back into those old ways, I can say, uh-uh, that's not who I have been made to be. God, you are with us. Lord, you are for us. You are strengthening us. Lord, continue to shape and mold us into those people that you've called us to be. I would say this morning, if there's anyone here who, who, who identifies as saying, yes, I keep getting that pull and that tug from my old life, my old ways. Lord, would you give them strength and power this morning in your name, by your power, to, to kill that off, to, to stop that voice altogether. And Lord, allow them to see the blessings and the fruit of walking in your power and in your name. Allow them to taste and see that you are good, that everything else would grow strangely dim. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com or call 714-891-9495.